unconscious and um, we're not sure if, if this is the end or if you have more. But Father, we, we ask that your presence would be very near with the family right now, with Miriam, with all, the, all of the family uh, who are there. God, we ask for the peace and the awareness of the Holy Spirit to be with them. We pray for Buddy God. We, we know that uh, his mind is, is still awake, and even though he's not responsive, he can hear. And so we ask that you would even speak to him uh, as he lays in that hospital bed. And uh, we ask for healing, God. We ask for restoration, God. If you have more for him here on, on this, this life, and we ask for, for quick healing, if, if, this is, if this is the end, God, we ask for ultimate healing, for you to bring him uh, quickly to your side. We thank you that you're so good. And we entrust him and trust the family to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our children, you are dismissed to go either upstairs or across the breezeway to your time of worship. <clears throat> and the rest of you, uh, if you'd please take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, starting in verse 50 is where we will be today. Uh, we, uh, wanna, I want to welcome again, if you're, if you're new here today to fullness, uh, we're, we're glad that you're here. We're, you're kind of jumping in at the tail end of a series we've been in all fall on the Apostles' Creed. We've been going line by line through the Creed. And uh, today we're almost at the very end. Pastor Bart will close it out next week, but uh, we're going to be looking at the, the resurrection and life everlasting today. And uh, so we're going to be jumping into 1 Corinthians 15 in a few minutes. Um, when I was in college, uh, I was uh, an equipment manager for the baseball team. That was my, kind of my job outside of, of class. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I got to, got to travel with the team, ride on bus rides. So it meant actually a lot of long hours on the road traveling to away, away games. And um, this was kind of, this was several years ago, so kind of before the time where everybody had their own personal device. And uh, so they'd show movies on the bus, movies and shows that kind of passed the time. And I remember one trip in particular, I don't even remember where we were going, but uh, it was a very long trip. And we, would wa- we watched quite a few seasons of the show Lost. And uh, back when that show was going on, it was really big. And uh, that was my first time to, to watch the show. And, uh, but we didn't finish it. We got through several seasons of it, but I never saw the end. And I've actually ne- still never seen the end. Um, so I kind of knew the story, at least some of the some of the things that happen in the, the story of the show Lost, but I never saw the conclusion. I never saw the end of the story. And uh, if, if, you, if somebody wants to come up and tell me afterwards how the show ends, you can do that. I've, I've long since gotten over my curiosity. Uh, but I think that that, in a sense, is, is kind of how we as believers think about the end of, of God's bigger story that he's telling in the world and in the gospel and, and in the, the creed. As well, we, we know the end of the story, but we don't often talk about it. When we're sharing what we believe, when we're having conversations, spiritual conversations, we don't really talk about the end of the story very often. And it doesn't really seem to, to shape how we think and live today. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. We're going to talk a little bit about the end of the story, uh, the resurrection and life everlasting. And I'm going to really focus on the resurrection aspect um, many Christians, of course, are going to disagree on details, some of the finer details of the end times and 
Maybe what exactly is going to happen after Jesus comes back and after the resurrection. Uh, But I think all believers can and should believe in the fact that the resurrection is going to happen. And that it should shape how we think and live here and now. And I want to actually start in a place in Scripture that uh, may sound really odd to you. um, And that's the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, You don't have to turn there. But... Um, I have it up there, yeah. Um, If you've ever read Ecclesiastes, you probably find it to be a rather depressing book. Um, But I've actually always been really fascinated by the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, It's it's really about the writer of the book kind of wrestling with what is the meaning of it all? What is the purpose? And he tries all these different things. He tries pleasure and work and accomplishments. And he just has this sense of of frustration. And uh, he says... At the very beginning of the book, this is kind of the theme of the book in a sense. Um, In chapter 1, verse 2 of Ecclesiastes, uh, he says, uh, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Clearly, this guy is not going to be writing any bestsellers of self-help books. Um, But this word vanity appears 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, it really denotes this sense of, of futility, of purposelessness, or meaninglessness. And it literally means breath, and so it also kind of has the sense of being fleeting or temporary. And I think that we can all relate to, to this sense of frustration that the writer feels. Um, I know that young moms deal with this and feel this as they interact with little people all day and wonder if the things that they're saying and doing have any effect whatsoever on, on their toddlers. Um, I think that young people, millennials uh, especially, I think feel this sense of angst as they're kind of wondering, you know, what, what is my purpose here? Why am I here on this earth? And they look around and they see the injustice of the world around them. I think middle-aged people can, can deal with this when they're going through midlife crises. Uh, I think old people, um, elderly people who can't do as much physically can, can wrestle with this sense of um, of, of purposelessness. And of course, we all see death that is all throughout our society, and we're reminded of the fleeting nature of life. And you may be thinking, Let's, that's a pretty strange way to kind of set up talking about the resurrection. Um, but I want you to kind of hold that thought of Ecclesiastes. We're going to come back to it a couple of times throughout the morning. So, but let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Paul in this chapter is, is uh, he's kind of responding to an objection that's been raised in the church there in Corinth um, that there's really no coming resurrection. And I I actually preached on kind of the first half of the book a few weeks ago when we talked about Jesus' resurrection. And Paul basically says that Jesus' resurrection in the past is inseparably tied to our future coming resurrection. And because Jesus has been physically raised from the dead, it's a guarantee that we're going to be physically raised raised again. And then kind of in the second half of the chapter, Paul responds to what's probably you can almost tell kind of a cynical question that's raised of you can almost just hear somebody saying like, oh yeah, there's, so there's going to be a resurrection. Well, what it's, what's it going to be like? What kind of bodies are we going to actually have? And it's almost kind of a mocking question. And so Paul spends the second half of the chapter really responding to that question. And uh, he uses several metaphors that I'm not going to go into talks about seeds and plants and flesh of different kinds of animals and heavenly bodies. 
uh, to basically, he's making the point that there's going to be a continuity between our present bodies and our future resurrection bodies. There's going to be a link between, I think we're going to actually recognize each other um, in our new bodies. But there will also obviously be a huge difference between our current bodies and our future bodies. And he basically says we're going to have bodies like Jesus's resurrection body. And then Paul comes to his conclusion to the argument on resurrection, and that's where we're going to pick it up in verse 50. And we're going to look at kind of the, the, the last end of the chapter. So starting in verse 50, Paul says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. From this passage, I want to look at three things that I think that Paul is, is saying here. Um, I'm going to look first at the necessity of our coming resurrection and then two points of application for our lives here and now. So first is, is this, the necessity of our resurrection. This passage contains a very misunderstood verse uh, that has often been used to, to kind of give a misunderstanding to Christians about about our future. And it's the verse, uh, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And a lot of people have looked at that and said, well, see, we're not going to have bodies because flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. We're, we're just going to be kind of these, I don't feel like me, but I kind of grew up thinking that uh, we're just going to be sort of like ghosts floating around on the clouds. And that may sound appealing to get to haunt somebody someday as a ghost, but that's not, that's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul means um, well, Paul's been striving, let me back up, Paul's been striving this entire chapter to belabor the point that Jesus was physically raised from the dead, that he has a body. And so what Paul means by this phrase, flesh and blood, is our present human experience, living in corruptible, decaying bodies. Our bodies that we live in now, that God created, are, are amazing of course, right? I mean, they're amazing that, that we live in these, these bodies, but, but they bear the marks of living in a world filled with sin. They bear the, mark, the marks of sin that others have done against us, and they're part of a creation that Paul says elsewhere in Romans 8, are part of a creation that has been subjected to futility. By the way, that word futility is the same word that was that was translated vanity in Ecclesiastes that we, that we started out with. And Paul is saying that our future in inheriting the kingdom of God, the new heavens and the new earth, is too glorious for our present bodies 
to be able to even stand it. They must be restored with new bodies. That's why it says the, the perishable must put on the imperishable. The mortal must put on immortality. These new bodies, these new resurrection bodies are going to have no chronic fatigue, no back pain, no knee pain, no sickness of any kind. Um, physical healings. You know, we believe that God still heals um, here and now, today. And physical healings are, are awesome, but they're not resurrection. They're not the same thing as resurrection. They're actually, they're little foretastes of it. They're, they're temporary halts to the, the deterioration of our bodies. But resurrection will be the complete reversal of the deterioration of our bodies. Earlier, well, just a couple days ago, and I know many people have gone and, and, and seen Mr. Buddy and prayed with him, and, and Gabriel and I got to do that. Uh, we did that a couple of times uh, the last few days, and, and there was just something about laying my hands on, I think he's 88 or 89, and, and praying for him. It just it gave a new sense of meaning for, for the longing and the yearning that we as believers have for these new resurrection bodies that, that we're waiting for. Um, for those who have been sexually assaulted, think about it. In these new resurrection bodies, there's going to be no trace, no memory of the wrongs that were done against us. Um, for, for those who, who, who feel the frustration of, of fighting sin, I mean, how many know that it can get exhausting to feel like you're still fighting against the same sins that you've been fighting against for, for years? But in that day, in our resurrection bodies, the battle against temptation is going to be over. There's going to be no even temptation to sin in these new bodies. Theologian Wayne Grudem, I like how he puts it. This is how he describes them. He says, Our resurrection bodies will show the fulfillment of God's perfect wisdom in creating us as human beings who are the pinnacle of his creation and the appropriate bearers of his likeness and image. In these resurrection bodies, we will clearly see humanity as God intended it to be. That's beautiful, I think. And because we will have, we must have these new physical resurrection bodies, we obviously will be in a physical place. We're not going to be floating around on clouds as disembodied souls. Listen carefully. Heaven is not our final destination. Our final destination, the Bible says, is a new heavens and new earth. That one day the heavens and earth are going to be united as one in the new heavens and new earth. And I think, I think we're going to, I'm not 100% certain of this, but I think we're going to actually recognize features of this current earth. Um, if anyone's read the, the Chronicles of Narnia, um, the last battle, the last book, really the end of the last battle, where the, the children go to basically heaven in, in that world, the new Narnia, so to speak, and they're walking around and they're, they're looking at things and they're, they're recognizing places. They're saying, like, I recognize that, that mountain range or, or that group of trees or that skyline looks so familiar. And like, that's, that's Narnia. But yet they're like, but that's not Narnia. It's, the colors are so much bolder and more beautiful. And I think C.S. Lewis gets it right, that there's going to be um, an aspect that we, we recognize of the new heavens and the new earth. And 
I don't know what exactly it's going to be like, but I know that it's going to be breathtaking. So much so that we got to have new bodies to be able to experience it fully. Our resurrection is a necessity. But now what are some of the applications of, of our coming resurrection? Well, first is this. This is point two. The doctrine of our resurrection redirects our ultimate hope. It redirects our ultimate hope. Moving on in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, Paul says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are creatures who are desperate to put our hope in something. We have to have hope to to survive. Pastor Tim Keller, I don't have this quote up there, but Tim Keller, he says this. He says, the way you live now is completely controlled by what you believe about your future. The way you live now is completely controlled by what you believe about your future. There's a, a story that's, that's told of, of two men uh, who were captured and put into a dungeon. And I, I'm actually stealing this story from Tim Keller. Uh, but just before they're put into prison, uh, the first man learns that his wife and child are, are dead, that they're, they, they've passed, they're not going to be waiting for him. The second man, though, he learns that his wife and child are okay, they're safe, and they're going to be waiting for him when he, when he gets out of prison. Well, the first man, in just a couple of years, he just kind of curls up, withers up, and, and dies there in prison. But the second man endures and stays strong. And 10 years later, he walks out of prison and is reunited with his wife and his child. Both men had the same present circumstances, but they had different things about the future that they had set their minds on. So what they believed about what was coming for them in the future affected how they lived in the here and now. Everyone is is putting their hope in something. And of course, we all know that the pull, the temptation, is to put our hope in something other than God and what what he's doing. The doctrine of our resurrection, it redirects where we, where we place our hope. Paul's ultimate hope, it, it, was, it was the resurrection in the new heavens, in the new earth. I think this is really fascinating. Um, let me go back. This, this passage right here, this is, um, in all of the writings of Paul in the New Testament, this is the only place where Paul cites an unfulfilled prophecy in the Old Testament. And he sa- when he says that when the resurrection occurs, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, when the mortal puts on immortality, when the resurrection occurs, then will come to pass the ultimate defeat of death. And he quotes from Isaiah 25, verse 8, which says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. That's a beautiful verse. And then Paul quotes a line out of that, and he says, you know, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? And it may sound like, well, Paul's just kind of, he's kind of speaking poetically. He's kind of waxing eloquent. That's actually not what Paul's doing here. Paul is actually 
Paul is actually mocking death here. That, that's what he's doing. Um, when I was in college, and I would go to, to college basketball games sometimes, and if it was late in the game, and uh, our team kind of had the victory sealed, kind of in the bag, uh, some of the students of, of our team, um, I, I didn't join them in doing this, but they would, uh, I brought up my keys, they would, they would hold up their keys, and they'd just start jiggling them to the opposing fans, like this. And what they were saying was, the game is over, victory is sealed, you might as well go warm up the bus and just leave, because you have no no chance, no hope. <laughs> I don't recommend doing that, but um, that's what Paul is doing here in this passage. He is taunting death, and he is saying, look at the scoreboard, death. The victory is sealed because Jesus is alive, and he is reigning, and your time is running out. Yes, death, you are still in the game. You're still competing. You may even still be scoring points. But it is only a matter of time until you lose death. This prophecy in, in Isaiah 25 too, this is, you may recognize some of the language. He'll wipe away every tear. That's what John picks up and refers to at the end of Revelation where he's describing the new heavens and the new earth. This is the believer's ultimate hope. And there's, I mean, there's a million applications for this. I just want to talk for just a few minutes about, about one. I, I think as believers that one of the temptations that we may feel is, is to feel more hopeful about our future uh, based on what's going on in, in politics. Um, I mean, politics are, are big in the, in the nation right now. We just recently had the, the midterms, and I feel that temptation too, to, to place my hope on, on what's going on uh, in, in politics. Um, and I would guess that, that after the midterms, that regardless of your political persuasion, you probably felt a fluctuation in hope. Maybe you're still feeling it as there's recounts going on and all that stuff. But um, a few weeks ago, uh, the Fullness staff went to um, a Beeson chapel service at Beeson Seminary here in town. Pastor Bart and Gabriel and uh, Craig and myself all went to it. And we went to see a guy named Ed Stetzer. Uh, give the give the chapel message and um, Ed Stetzer he's a pastor and author and researcher on kind of church and culture and uh, he talks to the media a lot he'll get interviewed to kind of get his take on on what's going on and um, both Christian media and secular media and so Ed Stetzer said um, he'll always get asked whether it's CBN or CNN um, they'll always ask him the same thing they'll always ask him you know Ed are, are you in are you encouraged by what's going on in our nation and in the future? And uh, Ed said he always answers the same way. He said, he says, whether he's talking to CBN or CNN, he says, I'm always hopeful. I've read the end of the book. Jesus wins. That's Paul's attitude, and that should be our attitude. Yes, we are to be salt and light in the realm of, of politics, um, we're, to, we're to adorn the gospel and, and how we have conversations with people about them, but we don't place our ultimate hope on what's going on there because we know that Jesus is not just going to rule one particular country. He is going to rule the universe, and he's going to defeat every enemy, the ultimate of which, of course, is, is death, but 
what that means is every political leader of all time, regardless of who they are, is going to one day be laid low before the glory of Jesus. And so let me ask you today, where are you putting your hope ultimately? Ultimately. Um, One way to tell is uh, how, I'm speaking to myself as much as anybody now, how you react when you get disappointing news. Um, Whether that be something that happens in politics, whether that be a health report that you get, whatever it might be. How you react when you get disappointing news. And of course it's okay to be disappointed. We, We should be disappointed. We should feel the weight of disappointing news, but we don't have to be crushed because our hope is in something that no bad news in this world can touch. The doctrine of our resurrection redirects our ultimate hope. Then, lastly, the doctrine of our resurrection refuels our present ministry. It refuels our present ministry. I think it's so fascinating that at the end of this chapter, which is the longest section on resurrection in the whole Bible, by the way, uh, Paul does not end it in the way that I would probably expect him to end it, or maybe we would expect him to end it. He doesn't end it by saying, so just kind of hang on tight till Jesus comes back. Do the best you can while you're, while you're waiting around. That's not what he does. Actually, what Paul does is he takes our focus right back to the present, to the here and now. He closes out the chapter by saying, therefore, meaning in light of all he's been saying, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Now, primarily, Paul is talking about the gospel here and and sharing the gospel and standing in the gospel. When When Paul uses the phrase um, labor or labor, um, that's kind of Paul language for talking about gospel ministry, um, which is an appropriate end to the chapter because he started the chapter with the gospel. He started the chapter by saying, I would remind you of the gospel, which is of first importance. So he kind of closes it off by returning to the gospel, that in light of the resurrection that's coming, we're to live gospel-shaped lives. But I think also this can be understood a little broader as well, Um, especially when Paul's talking about our work in the Lord. This is is the part of of the sermon that I'm really hoping that it's a little counterintuitive, so I hope by God's grace I can communicate it well. Um, The idea is that because our future existence, our future resurrection existence will be a physical one in physical bodies, in a physical place, that there is a continuity or a link between work that we do here and now in this present physical reality and what's going to happen in our future reality. That there's a link between them. The doctrine of the resurrection means that this world and what we do in this world matters. You've probably heard the, the saying that people will sometimes say against Christians, um, they're, they're so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. Anybody ever heard that, that saying said? Um, I think unfortunately sometimes we've earned that saying. Uh, I think actually though the problem is not that we think about heaven too much. The problem is we have the wrong picture of what heaven is, of what the coming future is. And uh, 
I mean, looking back to even how we've done evangelism, how we've shared the gospel uh, in the last century, in the 20th century, whether it was big evangelism crusades, how people were just trained to do evangelism, it was kind of the focus was kind of get people to pray a prayer so they can go to heaven when they die. And that was kind of, that was kind of it. Um, and, and so when, when that's your understanding of the world and of salvation, it makes sense that you're not really going to be as focused on working here and now to make a difference, to improve things in, in the world. Um, N.T. Wright, uh, a theologian, he, uh, he says something, he kind of puts it in, I think, helpful historical context. N.T. Wright is, is British, and so he kind of talks about um, a little bit of the history of Christians in England. And, uh, I, but I think it can be broadened to probably greater than just the church in England. He, uh, he says, people have done some really cool things. Christians have done some really cool stuff uh, in, in the nation of England. Think of like William Wilberforce, who worked for years to, to end the slave trade in that nation. But N.T. Wright says that it was right about the time, historically, that the church stopped holding to a strong view of a physical resurrection and a physical new heavens and new earth, that they stopped really seeing the urgency to work to improve society now. Isn't that fascinating? That There seems to be a link between us believing in a coming physical resurrection, physical new heavens and new earth, and working to improve things now. The biblical view of resurrection is not that we're looking to escape earth, but that we work to make a difference now in the physical earth because God will restore it into the new heavens and the new earth. N.T. Wright puts it like this, and hopefully this will make it a little more practical. Um, he says, actually commenting on this very verse that we just looked at, he says, the point of the resurrection, as Paul has been arguing throughout the letter, is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. God will raise it to new life. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future for it. He goes on. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable. Remember, he's British. Um, until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. So the good works that you do for the Lord, whether they be sharing the gospel with a classmate, whether they be helping someone less privileged, whether they be talking about Jesus, when you're disciplining your toddler, whatever, they're not meaninglessness. God is going to remember them on into the future. And notice also that the very last little phrase of this verse that Paul uses the phrase, not in vain. Does it sound familiar? It's the same idea of Ecclesiastes that we started with. And so the, the point that Paul is making is the doctrine of our resurrection, a firm belief in our coming resurrection, it enables us to transcend, to get above the frustration 
of an Ecclesiastes life. We know that the work that we do in the Lord is going to continue into the new heavens and the new earth. So resurrection is a necessity. The doctrine of our resurrection, it redirects our ultimate hope and it refuels our present ministry. Amen? I want to ask the, uh, the worship team to, to come back up and uh, they're going to close this out in just a minute. Um, but here's kind of how I want to close this, this portion. I want to read again part of the verse that Craig read earlier from Romans 8. Because um, it's, it's also a verse speaking about coming resurrection. And uh, then I want to tell a little story after I read it. Paul says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Notice that Paul connects adoption with resurrection. He says the redemption of our bodies. So resurrection, the redemption of our bodies, is the inheritance only of those who have been adopted into God's family. Our resurrection bodies are not something that we earn. They are a gift of grace that Jesus has earned for us through the gospel. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I I invite you to talk with somebody about that, what that looks like to be in, in relationship with him. But I want, I want to tell this, this brief story. It's about a year ago this time, um, if I can get to it without tearing up. Uh, we, um, my wife, Andy, and I, we had done um, a little bit of foster care. And uh, we did what was called interim foster care, where we'd take in some newborn babies for just really just a few days or weeks, um, kind of holding them until, until they went to a more permanent home. And uh, it was, I think it was last December, really. And uh, we had one particular little guy uh, who we had for a couple of weeks, and we actually got to bring him to, to church on one Sunday, and I think Chris and Wendy actually prayed for him uh, during ministry time. But uh, we got the, got the call one day that he had been adopted into a new family. And uh, so the date was set that we took him to the offices of Lifeline. That's the ministry that we did it with. And so we go into this one room, and they, the staff... Somebody comes and gets him, takes him to another room where his new family is. He meets them, and then uh, they come and get us, and we get to go. <laughs> sorry. We get to go meet them. And um, there was not a dry eye in the place, as you can imagine, um, getting to, to celebrate together with them. But uh, then when we were done, um, when we walked out, we got to walk out with this family and the staff. All the Lifeline staff lined the walls, the hallways of the office building. And as we walked through them, they just started clapping and cheering and just kind of broke into this big applause. And uh, it was amazing. It's one of the best memories I've ever gotten to be a part of. But to me, it was just a tiny glimpse, tiny foretaste of one day when the resurrection happens, when our adoption, that we've already been adopted into God's family, but when it is made public to the whole universe, I think the hosts of heaven are going to gather and just break into thunderous applause and say, look, there's the adopted sons of God. There's the ones who Jesus paid the price to bring into the family. And here's the proof, their resurrection bodies. 
And that's our hope. That's what we look forward to today. So we're going to sing again this new song, Is He Worthy? And I really want you to pay attention to the words. The words are so good. Um, so yeah, let's just, let's hope in this coming resurrection and in the God who, who's made it possible. Jesus, would you help us to groan? Or would you help us to groan in, not in despair, but in hope? Would you help us to groan in a way that actually energizes and fuels us to work for the kingdom, to do gospel work here and now, to share the gospel, the hope of Jesus here and now. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.